Section 40 of The Complete Works of Brand the Iconoclast, Volume 12. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Keenan. The Complete Works of Brand the Iconoclast, Volume 12, Section 40. Old Glory. Address at San Antonio, July 4, 1893. Fellow citizens, I have done pretty much everything that a man may do and dodge the penitentiary, except run for office and make Fourth of July speeches. Eulogizing the goddess of liberty were much like adding splendor to the sunrise or fragrance to the breath of more. She needs no encomiast. Star-crowned she stands. The glory of America. The admiration of the world. I shall make a bid for your gratitude by being brief. In July weather the song of an electric fan and the small voice of the soda fount were more grateful to the soul than the grandest eloquence that ever burned on a Grady's lips of gold. It is customary, I believe, on July 4th, to make the eagle scream, to fight o'er again all the gory battles of the Republic, from Lexington's defeat to the glorious victory of the last election. But I am no Governor Waite, and blood to horses' bridles delights me not. I would rather at any time talk of love's encounters than of war's alarms. Rather bask in the smiles of beauty than mount barbed steeds to fright the souls of fearful adversaries. I have ever had a sneaking respect for Grover Cleveland for sending a substitute to remonstrate with the Southern Confederacy while he played progressive euchre with the pretty girls. His patriotism may not have soared above par, but there were no picnic ants on his judgment. Much as I love my country, I would rather be a living president than a dead hero. I address you as fellow Americans, for in this land no man of Celtic or of Saxon blood can be an alien. Whether he was born on the banks of the Blue Danube or by Killarney's lovely lakes, mid Scotia's rugged hills or on the sunny vales of France, he is bound to us with ties of blood. He hath a claim upon our country countersigned by those brave souls who, in the western wilds, gave to liberty a habitation and a name, who declared that Columbia should ever be the refuge of the world's oppressed, that all men, in whatever country born, should be equal before the law wherever falls the shadow of our flag. There has of late arisen a strange new doctrine that we should close our ports against the peoples of other lands, however worthy they may be, but I say unto you that such a policy were to betray a sacred trust confided to us by our fathers, that every honest man beneath high heaven, every worshipper at liberty's dear shrine hath an inheritance here, and when, with uplifted hand, he pledges his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor to the defense of freedom's flag, he becomes as much an American as though to the manner born. On occasions such as this, we of America are apt to glorify ourselves too much, to overlook the origin of those elements that made us great. When exulting over our victories in war, and our still more glorious triumphs in peace, our progress and our prosperity, we should not forget that had there been no Europe, there would be no great American nation, that all the courage that beats in the blood of Columbia's imperial sons, and all the wondrous beauty with which her daughters are dowered, that all the tireless energy of which she proudly boasts, 
and all the genius that gilds her name with glory, were nurtured for a thousand years at white bosoms beyond the ocean's brine. The American nation is the fair flower of European civilization, the petted child of the world's old age. Princes may be jealous of her progress, and tyrants read in her rise their own downfall. But the great heart of the people of every land and clime is hers. To her they turn their faces as the Helianthus to the rising sun. She is their beacon light, their star of hope, guiding them to the glories of a grander day. It is natural, it is right that on the nation's natal day we should felicitate ourselves on the sacred privileges we enjoy, should pay the tribute of our respect to those whose courage crowned us with sovereignty and made us masters of our fate. But we should not, as too often happens, make it the occasion for senseless bravado and foolish bluster. We should rather employ it to promote goodwill among the nations of the earth, to link together in a kindlier brotherhood the various families of the great Caucasian race, to beat the barbarous sword into peaceful plowshares and forever banish strife. I sometimes dream that God has, in his mercy, raised this nation up unto the world's salvation, the immediate instrument of his grace to usher in that age of gold, when the war-drum throbs no longer, and the battle-flags are furled, in the Parliament of Man, the Federation of the World. I delight to trace in the rise and fall of nations the finger of God, and strive to read the Almighty's plan in the historic page. In the farthest east appeared the first faint light of civilization's dawn, and westward ever since the star of empire hath tamed its way, while each succeeding nation that rose in its luminous paths like flowers in the footsteps of our dear Lord, has reached a higher plane and wrought out a grander destiny. The cycle is complete. The star now blazes in the world's extreme west, and by the law of progress which has preserved for forty centuries, here, if anywhere, must we look for that millennial dawn of which poets have fondly dreamed, and for which philanthropists have prayed. The awful responsibility of leadership rests upon us. We have shattered the scepter of the tyrant, and broken the shackles of the slave. We have torn the diadem from the prince's brow, and placed the fasces of authority in the hands of the people. We have undertaken to lead the human race from the slough of despond to the delectable mountains, where justice reigns supreme, and every son of Adam may find life worth living. Can we make good our glorious promises? Are we equal to the task to which we have given our hand? Ten thousand times the world has asked this question, but there is neither Dodona Oak nor Delphic Oracle to make reply. The future alone can answer. All eyes are upon us, in hope or fear, in prayer or protest. The fierce light that beats upon a throne were as the firefly's dull flame to the lightning's flash, compared with that which illumines the every act of this champion of human progress this knight par excellence, this Moses of the nations. It is an important role which God hath assigned to us in the great drama of life, yet into a part so pregnant with fate we too often inject the levity of the farce. While preaching equal rights to all and special privileges to none, we pass laws that divide the people of this land into princes and paupers, into masters and slaves. On July 4th we shout for the old flag, and all the rest of the year 
we clamor for an appropriation. While boasting that we are sovereigns by right divine, and equal unto kings, we hasten to lay our hair beneath the feet of every scorbutic dude who hither drifts, stuck o'er with titles, and hung around with strings. The soldier who serves the state demands a pension, and every burning patriot wants an office. We boast that the people rule, and office-holders are but public servants. Yet more than a moiety of us would hang our crowns on a hickory limb and swim a river to break into official bondage. Here in Texas, seven distinguished citizens are already chasing the governorship, like a pack of hungry wolves after a wounded fawn, while the woods are full of brunette equines who have taken for their motto, They also serve who only stand and wait. Yes, our office-holders are indeed our public servants, and my experience with servants has been that they usually run the whole shebang. Theoretically, we have the best government on the globe, but it is so brutally mismanaged by our blessed public servants that it produces the same evil conditions that have damned the worst. Even Americans whose forefathers dined on faith at Valley Forge, or fought at Lundy's Lane, have become so discouraged by political bossism, so heartsick with hope deferred, that they quote approvingly those lines of Pope, For forms government let fools contest, whate'er is best administered is best. While boasting of popular government, we suffer ourselves to be led about by self-seeking politicians, like a blind man by a scurvy poodle. We may partisanship paramount to patriotism, have reserved the poet's line, and now all are for a party, and none are for the state. It were well for us to make July 4th less an occasion for self-glorification than for prayerful consideration of the dangers upon which we are drifting in these piping times of peace. Dangers that arise, not in foreign courts and camps, but are conceived in sin by the American plutocracy and brought forth in iniquity by our own political bosses. We have no longer aught to fear from the outside world. Uncle Sam can, if need be, marshal forth to battle eight million as intrepid sons as those who crowned old Bunker Hill with flame, or bathed the crests of Gettysburg with blood. Upon such a wall of oak and iron the powers of the majestic world would beat in vain. Our altars and our fanes are far beyond the reach of a foreign foe. But the rock that wrecks not the thunderbolt nor bows to the fierce simoon is swept from its base by the unconsidered brook. No man can be a patriot on an empty stomach. No country can be secure. I care not if Moses makes its constitution and Solon frame its laws, when half its people are homeless, and brawny giants must beg their bread. As far back as history's dawn, the rise of the plutocracy and the impoverishment of the common people have heralded the downfall of the state. Thus fell imperial Rome, that once did rule the world, and need and greed are the billisty and battering rams that are pounding today with tremendous power upon every throne of Europe, and rocking the very civilization of the world from turret to foundation stone. We have achieved liberty, but have yet to learn in this strange new land the true significance of life. We have made the dollar the god of our idolatry, the alpha and omega of our existence, and bow the knee to it with a servility as abject 
as that of courtiers kissing the hand of kings. As the old pagans sometimes incorporated their lesser in their greater deities, that they might worship all at once, so have we put the goddess of liberty and saving grace on the silver dollar, that we may not forget them. But before God, I do believe that this selfish, this mammon-serving and unpatriotic age will pass, as passed the age of brutish ignorance, as passed the age of tyranny. I believe the day will come, O oh, blessed dawn, when we'll no longer place the badge of party servitude above the crown of American sovereignty, the ridiculous oriflamme of foolish division above old glory's star-gemmed promise of everlasting unity when Americans will be in spirit and in truth a band of brothers, the wrongs of one the concern of all, when brains and patriotism will take precedence of boodle and partisanship in our national politics, when labor will no longer fear the cormorant nor capital the commune, when every worthy and industrious citizen may spend his declining days, not in some charity ward, but in the grateful shadow of his own vine and fig tree, the loving lord of a little world hemmed in by the sacred circle of a home. There was a time, we're told, when to be a Roman was greater than to be a king. Yet there came a time when to be a Roman was to be the vassal of a slave. Change is the order of the universe, and nothing stands. We must go forward, or we must go backward. We must press on to grander heights, to greater glories, or see the laurels already won turn to ashes on our brow. We may sometimes slip. Shadows may obscure our path. The boulders may bruise our feet. There may be months of mourning and days of agony. But however dark the night, hope, a poising eagle, will ever burn above the unrisen morrow. Trials we may have, and tribulations soar. But I say unto you, O brothers mine, that while God reigns, and the human race endures, this nation, born of our father's blood and sanctified by our mother's tears, shall never pass away. End of section 40. Recording by Brian Keenan.